Jeremiah 42. You say, I'm leaving at 12 anyway. All right. Jeremiah 42. We have the Wileys working with the young people today in the upper room. So young people can head on out for time in the word. Go to it. I know it'll be a special time for you. Thanks to uh, church families like the Wileys and others who help us out throughout the year. So grateful for them. All right, hopefully you are in Jeremiah chapter 42 now. Have you ever gotten to the end of a movie and been disappointed? Where you were watching something, maybe someone said, you know, this is a good movie, you need to to watch it or whatever. Or maybe you saw some reviews on it and you said, oh man, I want to see this. I would like to see what's going on. You know, it just sounds like a a good, good thing. And then maybe at the start of the movie, everything was great. I mean, you were drawn in by a great plot. There was a wonderful cast of characters, the, you know, and, and it seemed like everything was just moving along and the storyline moves along smoothly. And, and so you start to have expectations as, as the movie goes along about how it's supposed to end. You know, maybe you think, well, it's going to be this guy or this is going to happen or this is going to take place or here's what the hero is going to do. And and I know you start to formulate those things in your mind. If you don't, I do. So you got to just live with me there anyway. So you're into the movie, and you're, you got all sorts of different ideas about how it might possibly end, but you're trying to figure it all out. And all of a sudden, there's a twist of the plot. All your expectations and hopes come, like, dashing down, and it, like, ends disappointing. And so you come to the end and say, man, I thought it would end different than that. And it's kind of like, blah. Why did I waste my time? Why did I waste two, an hour and a half of my life watching this show or watching this movie or whatever. You ever been disappointed like that? Where you kind of come to the end and you wish you hadn't watched the movie. In Jeremiah 42, when we start out, the movie sounds really good. I don't like like to put it that way. Everything sounds wonderful, but I'm warning you at the beginning, the ending is not good. So I'd like you to see from Jeremiah 42, the lesson God wants us to learn today about revival. There was a great opportunity the children of Israel had to see a reviving work in Jeremiah chapter 42 and 43, but the story doesn't end exactly as it could or as it should. And it was a challenge to me as I read through uh, Jeremiah back, uh, actually this was probably a couple months ago where I came across this passage. It was a challenge to me as I started to think about and look forward to the matter of revival, to read about a people who had a great chance to see God do something wonderful, and they missed out. So follow along. Let me read in Jeremiah 42. I'll explain it, and we'll see it in the passage here before us. But it starts out, and the story starts wonderfully. Then all the captains of the forces in Johanan, the son of Korea, and Jezaniah, the son of Hasha, I uh, love these names. And all the people from the least, even unto the greatest, came near. That's why I'm supposed to have Brother Umstead up here reading these names. That's why I give him all the missionary letters, because, you know, it has all these names. Like, he would have slaughtered half of the names that were given by the parks this morning in Sunday school. And I would have done the same, but that's why I have someone else read the missionary letters. So anyway, that's kind of the way it is this morning, I know. 
But these people, all right, all these people that I can't pronounce their names, from the least unto the greatest came near. We see at the end of verse 1, and we'll continue on now after my comment. And said unto Jeremiah the prophet, let we beseech thee our supplication be accepted before thee, and pray for us unto the Lord thy God, even for all this remnant. For we are left but a few of many, as thine eyes do behold us. The Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk, and the thing that we may do. Then Jeremiah the prophet said unto them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray unto the Lord your God according to your words. And it shall come to pass that whatsoever thing the Lord shall answer you, I will declare it unto you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, The Lord be a true and faithful witness between us if we do not even according to all things for, which, for the which the Lord thy God shall send thee to us. Whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send thee, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Now that sounds like a good start to the program, doesn't it? It sounds like everything's going just wonderfully. People want a message from God. They want to follow God. But I entitled the message today, The Revival That Could Have Been. And I think that tells you what actually ended up happening. And we'll see that a little bit later on. But let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, today I am thankful that as we look forward to revival, there are messages in the Word of God that can help us to prepare, to see things that we need to see, to learn things that we need to learn, to be ready for a time of Bible preaching. And I pray that this morning our hearts would be stirred, that we would look at the children of Israel, that we would learn from their example, both positively and negatively, things we should do, things we shouldn't do. And I pray that you would help us today to prepare for revival, to have the kind of heart that we evidenced in these first few verses of Jeremiah chapter 42. I pray that you would work that our hearts would be touched this morning, that your name would be lifted up, need you today. And I understand that if you don't do a work, a work won't be done like it needs to be in our midst this morning. So please, uh, touch our hearts with your word today and empower your servant. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, let's walk through our passage today, and it's not just chapter 42, but really it's actually chapter 42 and a little bit of chapter 43, and quite honestly, if we're going to understand everything, we even have to go backward a little bit. So we've got a lot of ground to cover, but I want you to see, first of all, that there was a very positive request. By the way, I think you can clearly see that in this passage. Children of Israel are in a time of captivity. Uh, you say, captivity, it doesn't necessarily sound like it. They are. What has already happened is that God's judgment has been poured out upon the nation of Israel. Judah has been taken. Jerusalem has been conquered. Nebuchadnezzar has already taken a bunch of people, and he has brought them to Babylon. These are the people in Jeremiah 42 that were left. There weren't a lot of people left. 
but there are a few people left. Now, if you're going to understand the story and what takes place here and what the people are trying to do, you kind of got to understand this background. So let me share with you some of these, if you would, preliminaries. All right. We don't have time to read it all, but here's what's going on. Daniel and, and others, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can read about them in the book of Daniel, right? Okay, they're already in Babylon. There's just a few of the remnant of the children of Israel that were left by King Nebuchadnezzar so that the land wouldn't become desolate. There were other people that, by the way, were kind of shipped in to Israel as well. But these people were, um, were uh, if you would, just trying to make a living, and they were trying to make it through a very difficult time. By the way, God's judgment had been poured out in great wrath upon the children of Israel. It was a devastating time. The people were starving in Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar ultimately ended up conquering the city. Uh, the, the people were decimated. Many lives were taken. They are in captivity. It is a bad time. Nebuchadnezzar, during that time, puts a guy by the name of Gedaliah in charge. You can read about that in chapter 40. I think it's in verse 7. The next chapter, chapter 41 we read about Gedaliah, this man who was made governor by Nebuchadnezzar, who now is in charge of Israel, if you would, and can do what he wants with the children of Israel. Well, Gedaliah was killed. There was an in, uh, not an insurrection, but a guy by, I think it was Ishmael, who uh, had some deceitful plans and took the life of this guy who Nebuchadnezzar had made king. Children of Israel, as a result, were really concerned because Gedaliah, the guy that Nebuchadnezzar put in, had been killed. You say, why were they concerned? Because they thought Nebuchadnezzar was going to come in and wipe out everyone. And by the way, you would probably do that. If you were a conquering nation, you put some guy in charge, and they killed the guy in charge, what do you think you should do? So they were rightfully concerned that their lives would be taken, and so they developed a plan. We're going to run to Egypt. A bunch of the Israelites are planning in chapter 42 to run to Egypt to get away from, hopefully, the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, which, by the way, they wouldn't. But anyway, that was the plan. Now, you got the idea what's going on here? A bunch of Israelites are already in captivity. A guy that Nebuchadnezzar placed as, as the ruler of the land and the guy in charge was killed by some Israelites who didn't like him and wanted to get rid of him and wanted to throw off Nebuchadnezzar's control. The children of Israel realized that wasn't a good move. That wasn't smart. And so they're going to run for their lives to Egypt. And in chapter 42, they come to Jeremiah. And they say, Jeremiah, you're a prophet. Tell us what God wants us to do. Now, that's a good thing, isn't it? Don't, don't you suppose? I mean, wouldn't you think that would be a good thing to do at this point? What are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to go? Now, you do know this, don't you? They've never listened to Jeremiah yet. I mean, all the way up to this point, Jeremiah has been telling them, this is what God says, this is what God thinks, this is what God wants you to do, this is how God wants you to act. They haven't listened to him yet. But at least here, in chapter 42, they come and they say, Jeremiah, we just need to know what God wants us to do. Now, uh, let me ask you something. Have you ever asked someone or told someone, I want to know what I'm supposed to do, but you already had in mind what you were going to do anyway? Yeah, that's the children of Israel, okay? 
So if you don't already grasp that truth, that's where they're at. But they're saying, okay, Jeremiah, help us to understand what is going on. And they are in bad shape. Look, if you would, at verse 2. He said, and said unto Jeremiah the prophet, let we beseech thee our supplication be accepted before thee and pray for us unto the Lord thy God, even for all this remnant. For we are left but a few of many as thine eyes do behold us. So in other words, they're saying something that was kind of obvious. Jeremiah didn't even need. We're in bad shape, Jeremiah. There's only a few of us. It looks like Nebuchadnezzar's probably going to come in and, and totally wipe us out because of this whole situation with Gedaliah. What should we do? That's the plea. And that was a good plea, was it not? Hey, look at what it says in verse 3, that the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk and the thing that we may do. Now, let me tell you something. That's a good plea. That's a wonderful thing to come to God and say, God, we need to know where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do. Isn't that a great attitude? Now, I understand that what we're looking at here is the children of Israel. We're looking at a specific story, a specific event in their life. We're going to make application to our lives Shortly, but you got to kind of understand what's going on. You kind of got to kind of grasp this, because the Bible says the things that were written in the old time were Old Testament were written for our benefit. They were written for our learning. So today we're going to learn a lesson from them and from what they do. But they are in terrible straits. They make a plea now to Jeremiah, and they say, "Hey, look, tell us, pray and seek God's face. Tell us the way we're supposed to go. Tell us the thing we're supposed to do." Now, can I ask you a question? I, I think this is pretty clear. Isn't that what revival is all about? Really, revival is about a Christian coming to God saying, God, what's the way I'm supposed to go and what am I supposed to do? I'll do it. Show me. Teach me. And so we have a people who are, by the way, in great need of revival and they need God's direction and they need to know God's way and they need to know what God wants them to do. And so they're asking for it, a very good thing. Well, we read in verse 4 that Jeremiah the prophet said unto them, I've heard you. Now, I don't know about you, but if, I, if it had been me, because I'm, I'm just that way, I think I would, you know, kind of at this point say, you know, ask them yourself. Now, now I know I'm just a rotten guy. But, but that's what I would be thinking. You say, why? Because Jeremiah has preached literally numerous times messages from God, and the children of Israel have just totally ignored it every time. But I love this story because in this story we see a guy who, although they had never listened to him before, and every time he came with a message from God, they said, forget you. Still, when they come to Jeremiah, he had the heart to say, yeah, I'll find out what God wants you to do. And not only will I find out what God wants you to do, but I'll tell you exactly what God wants you to do. I won't tell you anymore. I won't tell you any less. I will tell you exactly what God wants you to do. I'm going to seek his face for you. Now, you may think that's not a big deal, but I think it's a tremendous, it shows a tremendous heart on Jeremiah's part. I want you to think about something. Now, I, I know you're kind of catching it in the middle, and I, I have already read through the whole book of, of Jeremiah, so I kind of have this whole concept and this whole idea. Not only have they rejected Jeremiah over and over, but when the land was conquered, Jeremiah had a chance 
according to the ruler of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar's um, top man, he said, Jeremiah, you can come with us and live in Babylon and we'll take care of all your needs and we'll meet all your needs and we'll do everything that we can to make life comfortable for you in Babylon or you can stay with this decimated people. He gave him a choice. I think it was back in chapter 40 or 41. You can stay with this people if you want. And Jeremiah, what a nut, chose to stay. I mean, the land had been decimated. The walls of Jerusalem had been broken down. We're talking about, you know, it was just a terrible situation. The people were in poverty and everything else, and they hadn't listened to Jeremiah all along. Every time he ever came to them and said, people, here's what God said, they said, we, we're not going to listen to you. In fact, they had treated Jeremiah terribly. They put him in a pit at one time that was, that was so terrible that he thought if he was sent back to that place and put back in that place, he would die, and he begged not to be put back there a second time. Because the first time when they put him in, it was a pit that, was, that had muck and mire. And, you know, it, it wasn't like the prisons of our day. Where, you know, you have TV, cable TV, and, and you have, you know, you have exercise rooms and everything else. His exercise room was, was a pit that had muck and mire in it. And I suspect he was probably up to his waist, I don't know, whatever, in this, in this miserable situation. And it was not fun at all. And Jeremiah had been treated by these people that way. And yet... He chose to be back with them. And when they came and they said, we want to hear something from God. I don't, in the back of my mind, I'd be thinking, yeah, you want to hear something from God. But yet, here he is in verse 4. I've heard you. I will pray to God according to your words. And whenever the Lord answers, I'll declare it to you. I'm not going to keep anything back. I will do what I can to help you. That, I, by the way, shows someone who has a, a tremendous heart. What an encouraging prophet this man was to choose to suffer with God's people when he could have been in Babylon enjoying himself, if you would, and being cared for by the, by the ruler. Great, one of the greatest rulers that ever walked the face of this earth as far as power was concerned, Nebuchadnezzar. And he could have had the chance to be under that, but he chose to stay with people and do them good even though they had never done him good one time in his entire life up to this point. And so his promise was, I'll tell you what God says. Now look at verse 5. Then said they to Jeremiah, The Lord be a true and faithful witness between us, if we do not even according to all things for which the Lord thy God shall send thee to us, whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send thee, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Now, look, that's a wonderful message, isn't it? In fact, that's good preaching. That's revival preaching. Hey, listen, just obey what God says. It almost sounds like a preacher saying it, but it's the people saying this to Jeremiah. If we obey God, it's going to be for our best, even if it sounds evil, even if it doesn't sound like what we want to do, we will do exactly what we're told. Isn't that a great attitude? Isn't that a great approach? Isn't that a, a I mean, I'll tell you what, I, I'd have to be encouraged, uh, as a, maybe as a prophet, at least a little bit, because this positive re request was, we want to know God's way. We want to know what God wants us to do. And whatever you tell us, we'll do it. That's a good promise. It's a good desire. So we read in verse 7 what happens. And this is all the positive request. And it came to pass after 10 days that the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah. 
Now, we don't have time this morning. Like I said, we can't read the chapters before. We can't necessarily read everything involved or, or we won't be done till 1 o'clock and we want to get done before that. And so let me tell you that he prays and he prays for 10 days about this matter. Now, again, here's a guy that has, has never been listened to before. He goes to God, and don't, don't you think, because Jeremiah walked with the Lord, that God would have said, okay, Jeremiah, here's the message. To me, it was kind of amazing that Jeremiah kept at it as long as he did. But every day, for 10 days, he'd go to God, and he said, God, the, the, your children are asking for instruction. They promised me that they'll do what you said. What you say, I need to hear from you. Tell me, what do I need to know? Um, and so as he comes to God and he prays about this, he prays about it one day, two days, three days, four days, five days, six days. Does it, does, you starting to get the idea? Ten days he prays about this matter. Now, and I've asked, I asked myself the question, why didn't come, God come to Jeremiah right away? Why did he have to pray so much about this? And the answer is, this is profound. You ready? We don't know. But there is a lesson to be learned that sometimes, even when we want to do that which is right, we have to be willing to wait on God's timing. That God does have a time, and he knows the right time. And God has a plan, and we need to submit to that. And there is an encouragement here to pray and to pray and to keep praying, even though we may not see the answer or hear exactly what we want to hear right at the beginning when we make a request to God. Because God is working a plan. And so he prays about it. He prays about it for 10 days. And then the proclamation comes from God. And, and, the, and the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah. So he calls jo Johanan, uh, the, the son of Korea, and, the, and all the captains of the forces, you see, they didn't want to say the names again either. And so, <laughs> sorry. And so, the, and so the writer tells us, Jeremiah tells us, that, that all these people were called together from the least unto the greatest. And he said unto them in verse 9, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, unto whom ye sent me to present your supplication before him. And his instruction was, and his guidance was this. All right, I know you want to go to Egypt, but I'm telling you, stay here. That was God's instruction. That was God's way. It was God's will. That's what God wants you to do, is the proclamation from God. And I think it's great because God shares what God wanted for them. And he made it clear, he made it precise, and he explained it all that they needed to know. Stay here. Don't go. Don't run to Egypt. And not only did God say exactly, this is what I want you to do, but then he added to it and he made it real clear. If you go, here's what's going to happen. And so Jeremiah continues, and all the way through verse 22, yeah, this is all what God said. It was all God's message. And God's message was, you stay here. And if you don't stay here and you go to Egypt, I want you to know that Nebuchadnezzar is going to come into Egypt and he's going to take you anyway. And you and your family will die. And that's pretty straightforward, don't you think? You say, okay, pastor, great. What happens? Look in chapter 43. 
And it came to pass that when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking unto all the people, all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them, even all these words, then spake Azariah, the son of Hoshai, there we go again, and all these guys. But notice what it says after the word Korea. And all the proud men saying unto Jeremiah, thou speakest falsely. The Lord our God hath not sent thee to say, Go not into Egypt to sojourn there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, setteth thee on against us for to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans that they might put us to death and carry us away captives into Babylon. So Jehanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces and all the people, say those words with me, would you? Obeyed not the voice of the Lord to dwell in the land of Judah. And then it goes on, but Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces took all the remnant of Judah that were returned from all nations whither they had been driven to dwell in the land of Egypt, even men and women and children and the king's daughters and every person that Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah, so they came into the land of Egypt. Here we go again. For they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. And they came unto Taphanes, and you can read about it more because the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah, and there's another message from God. But we have what I call the proud rejection. All right, so we had at the beginning the positive request. But then we have the proud or prideful rejection of the message in chapter 43. So here are people have opportunity now to see a revival from God. God, and, and they're asking the right question. Lord, what is the way you want us to go? And what do you want us to do? How do you want us to act? What am I supposed to do now? And God sends a message. And they say, nope, not doing that. That's not a message from God. And here we have sad rejection of the word of God. And we have a reality here in this passage we can spend a lot of time of on. First, Jeremiah wasn't speaking his own opinions and thoughts. He was only saying, this is what God said. And the people, rather than say, you're right, that's a message from God. We're willing to hear it. They said, you're just telling us what Baruch wants us to hear. And he wants us to, to end up getting killed because he hates, he hates us. By the way, Baruch was kind of like a, a, a helper to Jeremiah in many ways. He was with him a number of times. You can read about it in the book of Jeremiah. And, uh, and he was a, a support to Jeremiah when, by the way, no one in Israel was. And so this guy, they said, was against him. And that was the message. It wasn't a message from God. They said it was influenced by a man who didn't have their interests in mind. That's an accusation, a terrible accusation, and a terrible error on their part. If God has spoken, let me tell you something. You should never ignore it or excuse it. If God has spoken, it's your duty to obey it. And such we have a passage, a, a, a story that quite honestly is quite sad. It's disappointing. It's it's discouraging. It's, it's kind of like watching the movie and you think, man, everything's going to come out good, right? First seven verses of chapter 42, it's all going to come out good. And then you get to the first seven chapter verses of, of, of chapter 43 
And, and it's like, oh, how could you do this? How could you be this way? But here's the truth. The children of Israel many times are like Christians can be. Whether it's the wilderness wanderings, you look in the book of Exodus and, and you see the children of Israel many times disobeying God, or whether it's all the prophets God sent to the children of Israel, quite honestly, Christians can live just like the children of Israel did so many times and like they did in these two chapters. When at one time they had an attitude that said, okay, God, tell me what's the way I should go and what should I do? But when the word of the Lord actually came and when God's word actually spoke, they had a different attitude. Now, it's real easy to point the finger at Israel, isn't it? Today, I'd like, you know, we're, we're all together in this. Man, they're bad. You know, I can't believe they did this. And come on, we're, we're, all, we're all pointing the finger at the children of Israel. But remember, when we point the finger at the children of Israel, there's some fingers pointing back as well. And there are lessons for us to learn because these things were written for our benefit. So why did God include this passage? And why would God tell us this story about people who wanted to know God's way and, God's, and, and, and to do God's will? And they said and they made a promise that they would and then they didn't do it. I think because God wants us to learn that we have the same tendency in life. And that if we are going to have God do a work in our lives, it's not enough to just say, I want to hear what God has to say. I want to know God's way. I want to do it. But then when God speaks, I need to have an attitude that says, yes, Lord. Here's what you told me to do. I'm willing to do it. So can we just end our time as we've kind of laid out now before you what took place and what happened the lessons that you and I can learn from this story in Jeremiah chapter 42 and 43. Not because this story was written to say, this is what a Christian is supposed to do today, because it was really just an experience in the lives of the children of Israel. But because God put it in the Bible for a reason, because he knew there were lessons that we could learn. And it's amazing to me that I can look at Jeremiah, uh, James chapter 4, not Jeremiah chapter 4, James chapter 4, and I can see in the New Testament many lessons that are actually teaching the very same thing that we can pull out of and learn from the response of the children of Israel here in Jeremiah chapter 42 and, and chapter 43. So let me share with you, and let's just make it practical responses, all right? Number of lessons for us to learn. All of that was said. It was all introductory. All introductory to give you a number of lessons we can learn. First of all, is there's, there's the positive things. First thing is to be seeking. You say, what positive thing can we learn from this? Exactly what the children of Israel said they wanted to know in the very first place. Every Christian should live this way. Verse 3, uh, teach us uh, or, or go to us and talk to the Lord. Verse 3 of chapter 42, that the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk and the thing that we may do. That, my friends, is a tremendous attitude that every Christian is supposed to have in life. God, what do you want me to do? What's the way I'm supposed to walk? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? What's the next step in my life? Lord, I want to know it. And then, Lord, what am I supposed to do? What kind of activities am I supposed to be involved in? What kind of things shouldn't I do? What kind of places should I go? What do you want from my life? My friends, 
That is really the beginning of revival in the heart of someone's life. When they come to the, to the place where they say, you know what? What I want to do and what I, where I want to go, those things aren't important. What God wants for me is important. And that is what every Christian needs to have. In fact, quite honestly, revival won't take place in your heart and life, whether it's next week or any other time, until you come to the place where you say like Israel, we want to know God's way and we're willing to do what God wants us to do. So Lord, tell us, show us your way. I want to know what it is. So be seeking his way and his work. Now, a lot can be said about their failure to obey when the word came. But the good lesson here is that wherever you find yourself in your spiritual walk, it's always a good time to seek the Lord. Christian, it's always a good time to come to church on Sunday morning saying, Lord, show me your way and show me what you want me to do. It's always a good time to open your Bible in the morning each and every day and, and to read from the Word of God and say, God, show me what your way is and show me what you want me to do. It's always a good thing for a Christian to just live life always with this attitude, God, I want to know what your way is. I want to know what you want me to do. And if you will come with that attitude, here's the thing that's encouraging to me from this passage. God will let you know. Now, he's not going to send the prophet Jeremiah with a message from God specifically, don't go there. And here's what will happen if you do. But I do know this. His Holy Spirit is there to guide you. His word will give you direction in life. And that you will have his wisdom and will if you're willing and if you're seeking it. And that is a good point about what happens in this whole chapter. And it's a wonderful lesson to us. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Um, and, and follow and, and seek to know what he wants from your life. Someone said this, the church is full of people who are seeking that which they have already found and only want to become that which they already are. And that, they said, is one of the greatest problems we have in the church. Listen to it again. The church is full of people who are seeking that which they already found and only want to be, become what they already are. And that's one of the great problems we have in the church. And he's right. What God is going to tell the children of Israel is, I want you to go here and I want you to do this. Actually, I want you to stay here. And I want you to do this. And it was contrary to what their heart told them. It's contrary to what they thought. It was contrary to what they wanted. It's contrary to what they felt was best. And such is the case many times with God's way and God's will. It leads us in paths and ways that we don't necessarily want to go and if we had our choice, we would go another direction. And therein is the real battle. But where we have to start is by saying and having the attitude, which was correct in chapter 42, God, I want to know it. Show me. And I will tell you, if you'll come next week to the revival meetings, if you'll come every Sunday to services with this attitude, God, show me your way. Tell me what you want to do, want me to do then there's no telling the progress you can make in your Christian life and the joy you can enjoy in your walk with him. Because God always wants what's best for you. 
But you have to come with that kind of attitude that says, I'm going to seek God. And so what we find at the beginning was truly tremendous, and it's challenging because in the New Testament, we're taught the same thing. God says this, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so in the New Testament, if you wanted to find a parallel, it would be Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Uh, Someone wrote about that passage. They said this, it's good to want to make improvements in our lives. However, I think we've all experienced what happens when we try to make changes without the help of the Lord. We try so hard to be faultless and yet end up faulty. We try to be self-sufficient and only become self-centered. We concentrate on treasures and end up with trash. And it's important to focus on God's righteousness if we want to see real change in our lives. We need to come to the place where we say, God, I want to seek you and I want to know what your way is. And if your way is different than mine, then I'm going to bend my will to yours. And God, if this is what you want me to do, I will do it even if I don't want to do it. And so be seeking is the first lesson to learn from our passage today and from the children of Israel. A a second lesson, it may be a little sideline here, but to be selfless. You say, well, what lesson, where do we learn that? I think we learn it from Jeremiah, who was the prophet, who was asked to go to God and to find out from God what, they, what God wanted them to do. And, and Jeremiah had such a heart and such an attitude and such a forgiving spirit toward these people who had treated him wrong so many times. that he said, yeah, okay, because I care about you and I am selfless. In fact, Jeremiah epitomizes a a person that God can use and a God can work in and a God can work through. And Jeremiah proves that he was a person God could use because God gave him the message. Are you that way? You know, if there's someone I wanted to emulate in Jeremiah 42 and 43, uh, it's the children of Israel in the first three verses. It's Jeremiah and the rest. Because the children of Israel were seeking, Jeremiah was selfless. Godly people live above past treatment and they do what is right by other people. There's a third lesson to be learned from this in in Jeremiah chapter 42. And you know what it is? Be supplicating. See, we ought to go with alliteration today. Be supplicating. Or, in other words, be praying. Here's the truth. You'll never know God's way You never know what God wants you to do unless you're communicating with him. And you let him communicate with you. Isn't that exactly what was needed? Jeremiah, God, people need to know what you want them to do. Now, here's the thing. You and I don't have to necessarily go to God about a lot of things because We already have the completed scripture, the benefit that the children of Israel didn't have, nor even did many of the New Testament churches have at the beginning. We have a completed word that tells us all the will of God and helps us to know all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so today, you and I can look to a book that the children of Israel couldn't look to. They needed a message from God. Here's the thing. If that message was going to come, it was going to come as a person sought God through prayer. And I think it's interesting, isn't it? That none of the other leaders of Israel could expect to hear from God. But they went to a guy that they knew would hear from God. Does anyone find that interesting? 
Why couldn't the other leaders of Israel? Why couldn't the, the, the priests that were left? Why couldn't any of, the, any of these people that were left go to God and ask God their, themselves? You know why? I, I want to say because they weren't in a place where God could direct them. But I'll say this. If you want to know his will and his way, it's going to come when you get on your knees and pray. And let me also share with you this truth that I think was, it was a challenge to me in verse 7 is that it's not always going to come tomorrow. Lord, I want to know your way. I want to know your will. Sometimes it comes at the last minute. Sometimes it, it, it comes at a time, it, even after the last minute, at least as far as we're concerned. Because we always like to have our ducks. I don't know about you. I like to have my ducks in a row. I'd like to know what the next step is. I'd like to know it, but Jeremiah had to pray about it. He had to pray about it, and he kept praying about it for 10 days before God ever said, here's the message for the children of Israel. Be supplicating until God gives an answer to his will and to what he wants you to do. Keep praying about it. Howard Hendricks told a story about a, a, a time when he had a church in Dallas, and he said, we were having trouble finding a teacher for a junior high boys class. The prospects, the list of prospects had only one name. And when they gave me the name, they said who it was. I said, you got to be kidding. That's not really a good thing when the pastor is saying you got to be kidding. But then he said, I couldn't have been more wrong about that young man that they suggested that, that my, these, these people who were giving some advice gave. Because he took the class and revolutionized it. He said, I was so impressed, I invited him to my home for lunch. I asked him the secret of his success, and he pulled out a little black book. And on every page, he had a picture of one of the boys, and under the boy's name were comments like, having trouble in arithmetic, or comes to church against his parents' wishes, or would like to be a missionary someday, doesn't think he has what it takes. And this guy said, I pray over these pages every day. And he says, I come to church every Sunday, excited, hardly able to hold my excitement to see what God has been doing in their lives as I pray for him. Now look, that's a guy who could expect to see God work, couldn't he? Because his prayer was, God, these people need to know. These people need your help, and I'm coming to you, and I'm asking you to show them the way they're supposed to go and the things they're supposed to do. And I'll tell you, Jeremiah did the same for the children of Israel, and you and I need to do the same. God, I want to know your will and your way. If you will come to next week praying throughout this entire week, God, I want to know your way. I, know, I want to know what you want me to do. And if you'll, you'll show me, I'll be ready and I'll be willing. And if you'll pray about that on a daily basis, then here's the, here's the truth. I, it, God, will, God will make it known. Because he loves to help his people know what they're supposed to do and the way they're supposed to go. God isn't in heaven saying, <laughs> let's see how miserable I can make that Christian. Let's see how difficult I can make their path. Let, let's see how tough I can make. Let, let, me, let me really prove that. No, God's desire is for us to know his will and his way. And God wanted these people to know that. The third thing that we're supposed to do in response we can have from this passage is this be sure that his way will lead to your help and what's best for you and also know this that your way is going to lead to trouble 
You know, every time I get out of God's will, I do my own thing, I go my own way. Anytime I don't accept his will and his way, I get myself in trouble. And here's the truth. When I do that, I'm miserable. You ever, you ever seen someone that you, you just knew? They weren't walking with God. And here's the truth. They were just miserable. And the reason they are is because they have rejected the only way. And the only thing they're supposed to do that can bring them true joy and happiness. And the children of Israel that were that way. They asked for a path of heartache. And they did that. In fact, the reason they were in this whole situation in the first place is because they asked for it. Because when God said, this is the way you're supposed to go, Israel said, no. You can be sure that his way will lead to help, no matter how hard it is, no matter how hard it seems, no matter how much opposed to your own thinking it may be. His way is for your best. Do you know what happened to the children of Israel after this? Exactly what God said when they chose to go into Egypt. Your way will always lead to heartache. So then, here's the, the message. It, it really is. Um, be surrendered. Be surrendered. Don't reject what God has said. But understand that God's way is the best way for you. And there's something that I read and I wanted to point out again. So look at chapter 43. Would you, would you with me? And verse 2. Because when Jeremiah comes and he has finished speaking all the people, all the words of the Lord their God. You see that in verse 1? Okay. This is God's message. This is what God wants you to do. If you don't do it, here's what's going to happen. Just walk through every step for them and everything else. He finishes speaking. And we focus a lot of times on the thou speakest falsely, the Lord God hath not sent thee at the end of the passage. But there's an important statement that really indicates the problem that men have with following God's will and God's way. And it's the greatest thing that hinders revival. And it's, it's found in the middle of verse 2 after the word, the son of Korea. Do you see the phrase there? All right, say, say it with me. And all the proud men. Let, let's just say that again, okay? And all the proud men. God said in Jeremiah chapter 4, he said, draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify here your hearts, you simple-minded. And God, in that passage, talks about what we often describe as, in the Old Testament, uses the term revival for. So when someone gets right with God. Do you know what he says in that James chapter 4? He says, God resists the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Walking God's way, doing what God wants you to do, requires at the very, at the very beginning, the, the foundational step is humility. The reason why what we would, I, here, here's, I'm going through the movie in chapter 42. 
and it's all great at the beginning. Tell us what God wants to do and everything. Jeremiah goes to God. God gives him a message. Jeremiah shares the message. Everything's great. And there's one thing that stopped it all. It was when the proud people said, we're going to do our own thing. Whether it's Sunday morning, each and every week, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whether it's a special meeting Sunday through Wednesday next week or whatever time we have a meeting, the one thing that will hinder you from walking the way God wants you to walk and knowing God's blessing is the same thing that was true in Jeremiah chapter 43 and is true throughout the rest of the Bible. And it's when... You don't like to say it, but it's truth. It's when you're too proud to say, okay, God, your way is right. I'll do it. Pride is a terrible thing that hinders Christians from walking with God. Hinders revival. A couple weeks ago, on, uh, as we were on vacation, we were in a church on Sunday morning. We heard a missionary. church had a, a missionary that morning. He preached a message from the Old Testament. Different passage, completely different passage. And do you know what the problem of the children of Israel was in that passage? Pride. Sunday night, we went to another church. Uh, yeah, we got around to a few different churches. Sunday night, we went to a different church. And the man preached on, I don't even remember what the message was. But do you know one of the points in the message and one of the main points was? It, it was... And it was about just walking with God and being, uh, doing what God wants. And, and one of the things that was found in the passage was, anyone want to guess? It was right. After the service, we're, we're, we're driving home, or I, maybe it was, a, yeah, I think it was, or maybe we were at the house. So do you think there's a message God wants us to get from, from the services today? You, you know, it's hard to hear message on pride because we like to think we're humble we like to think that that's not our problem but God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble and what kept this whole thing from happening was when that insidious sin of pride kept people from bending to God's message. And they could have used whatever excuse they wanted. The truth is, I needed that message a couple weeks ago. I still need that message. Three different passages, and quite honestly, numerous other ones. James 4 and so many others tell us the problem many times of revival in the heart of his people is when we're stubborn and proud and say no when God says go. Say no way when God says this is the way. Where are you? This is not the kind of message that you want to come forward on and say, I'm proud. But quite honestly, it's one of the things that we have to deal with if we will ever see God have his way and we ever will do what God wants us to do. We have got to come to the place where we say, God, I am removing myself 
I am not going to be proud. If you'll show me, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. And that, my friends, those few words in chapter 43 were the greatest hindrance to revival. And thousands of years later, it still is. It still is. Will you let God show you his way and show you what he wants you to do? Or will you stubbornly fight against it, even though you may say in the beginning, oh, yeah, tell me, show me, find out, I want to know. But don't let pride keep it from happening. I believe next week in the life of Spring Meadow Baptist Church could be a tremendous week of God moving in hearts and changing lives and maybe be a catalyst that could impact our area and perhaps even greater in this country. But it will only happen if God's people are not proud. And say, not only, God, tell me what your way is and what you want me to do, but then when we hear it, we say, okay, that's what I want, and that's what I'll do. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.